If you want to participate, contact me at ordinarywomenpodcast at gmail.com. I'm sure you have great projects to brag about. You can also follow me and message me on Instagram at ordinarywomenpodcast, on Twitter at ordinarywomenpc, or on Facebook on the page Ordinary Women. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Ordinary Women. I'm welcoming Radhika today. Hi, how are you? Hi Lucy, hello, it's so good to be connecting again. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm well too, thank you. Really excited to have you here today and yet yeah, super excited to speak with you again. Can you start by giving us a quick introduction of yourself, please? Absolutely, thank you. Firstly, so excited to be here with you and to have connected with you through this engagement. My name is Radhika. I also go by Rads, which was actually a nickname given to me during my time in Australia. At the moment, I'm a sales coach and I live in Singapore and I moved here from Sydney. And I think arguably it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And before I lived in Sydney, I lived in India where I was born and raised. So that's me. And I'm very excited to be chatting with you today, Lucy. And I also think the name of this podcast, Ordinary Woman, is actually perfect for my podcast debut. So thank you. Uh, amazing. I'm glad that you're as excited as I am. <laughs> and that's so cool. I've never been to Sydney, but I really want to go. I mean, I've never been to like so many places where I really want to go. But yeah, <laughs> I'll take you. It's gorgeous. You have to. Oh, nice. Looking forward to that. And can you tell us something unusual about you? Unusual? I'm going to give you two things. The first one is a bit okay. silly, but it always amuses people. So it's mm -hmm. my fun fact that I am a vegetarian and I was raised a vegetarian, which means I have never had meat. I've never had seafood. I've never even had eggs. Like I literally don't know what an omelette tastes like. And to me, that's super normal. It's very normal in the culture that I come from. But as I have traveled, as I've lived in different places and shared this fun fact with other people, they just find it very amusing. So I think that's one of the unusual things about me. Yes, so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> Thank you. But yes, I do have another thing mm -hmm. that I also, again, think is... Not that unusual for me, knowing my life, but other yeah. people I share this with find it very unusual, is that I was the first woman in my family, the first girl in my entire family ever, like ever, to finish college and to get a job, uh, get a paying job. And it was definitely a bit of a scandal when I first started out my career. I think it still is 10 years later, but it's such an important part of my story, my brand. Um, so... Yeah, I always like mentioning that because to some other folks, it sounds very unusual and even amusing at times. That's super cool. Congratulations. Can you please tell us more about why that was a scandal? <laughs> what, like, what happened? Well, that's what the entire podcast today is about. But yes, uh, I was raised in a very conservative family and their values are very much guided and judged by gender norms. And every person, specifically every gender, has a role to play. And the gender that I was assigned and what I identify with, which is a woman, uh, you're not supposed to, or rather the norm is for you to be in the more nurturing sort of space and stay at home and look after your family and, you know, produce children and do all these wonderful things that our bodies are more than capable of doing. But then that's where it stops. 
the the career the money the caregiving comes from the males so of course through generational changes that had to change at some point but i think what happened was it was my generation and it happened to be me as the first girl in my generation to have done that and that's why it was such a scandal because i think people were just shocked as to how this was even a possibility and were afraid that this would kick off a series of events that nobody was yet open to or or accepting of so i think there's still a lot of tension and a lot of unacceptance of the fact that i can look after myself and others around me that is so interesting and i have so many questions but before we jump <laughs> fully on that uh and i think it's going to be especially super interesting with what you have just said and will say more i like to start this podcast always by asking um was there an event or a moment in your life when you realized that you are a woman oh i'm a 30 year old woman lucy and i've never thought about this question i think it's so <laughs> profound so when you asked me this i was i was stumped i'm not going to lie mm. and I'm going to have to be honest I think I don't think there is a specific milestone or an event but as women it really is a series of events it's almost a reminder where you go about your life your daily life just thinking yeah I'm just another person unless or until it's thrown in your face that you're a woman So I think there is a lot of associations to the reminder and to the realization of being a woman some are good some are bad some are ugly good memories bad memories i think the good memories would definitely be uh, the way i was um cared by by uh, my family and the people around me you know i was one of the few sort of girls when i was growing up and i had other older male cousins and brothers so i definitely received a lot of love and care and um, you know pretty clothes and just that early onset of femininity that comes into your life as a girl or a woman which i definitely enjoyed so those would be the good memories and i think there are some bad ones that you try not to think about but then every single time you are told that you need to be acting or behaving a certain way because of your gender and i just remember being really confused and i was like how why am i being asked to act differently just because of who i am um i think some other would also include you know as a woman when you first are touched inappropriately by a stranger by a family member and you're just really confused again and you don't understand why you're going through that experience but i think if i think of sort of the earliest memory of realizing that the path i'm on may look a bit different than the boys or the men that i was surrounded by was this is going to sound ridiculous but it was really my first period and i'm mm. not saying that because of the biological reasons behind it but it was it's the first memory and the earliest memory that i have of shame oh really shame is it isn't that crazy and i think a lot yeah. of women out there would relate mm. it's it's mad to think that you are made to feel shame about something that is so natural it's as mm. natural as breathing completely But that was my first memory of shame and that was you know the way i was taught about it the way i was asked to act when that happened i obviously had my mom had the whole talk with me and then i remember going to school the next day and try to like talk to my girlfriends about it talk to my teachers about it and everyone was just so hush hush 
And I think even today, we're in 2023 and we're so open about talking about so many topics publicly, but this for some reason is still taboo. So I, I find it fascinating that uh, that emotion like shame gets associated with you being a woman and something that happens to you so naturally. Like if you look at consciousness as a spectrum of different vibrations, there is the higher the vibration, the more positive that emotion is. So for example, the higher vibrations of consciousness are love, peace, joy, enlightenment. But the lowest vibration is shame. It's lower than guilt. And to be made to feel that only because of your gender and your anatomy, I think it's beyond fascinating. That is so true. And still like so many discriminations. I mean, I grew up in France where it's like, I mean, it's getting better. There's still a big taboo, but I remember it's, well, I think it was in India. I remember reading about, but I'm not too sure, so correct me if I'm wrong, but that there's still some mainly villages where women have to leave and like go in more remote houses mm. the time they have their periods. Mm. Like the dis the actual discrimination around it is also wild. Truly really is. And I'm sure other other cultures and different cultures have different associations with this, but it's still very restrictive, very taboo. And mm. it's just something that came to mind to me. And I know it, it sounds like more the biological reason, but I think it's more the emotional reason why for me it's always stuck out. I, I still have a very vivid memory of that instance. I remember the exact clothes I was wearing. Like that's how huge the wow. impact was on my emotional well-being and sense of being. Um, mm. Something that's so natural. Yeah, completely. When Yeah, because you, you mentioned like that it's biological, but still, yeah. But I think it's really also saying, because like even though gender norms are moving and we're making progress of that, there's still a lot, the big majority of people who have their periods are women so I guess that's also why it's mainly associated with that independently of gender and like yeah it's just one more thing where women about which women are discriminated on which is so annoying and <laughs> yeah oh my god but you know what I mean deviating a tiny bit but also I think it's really interesting and especially for everyone who has their period I'm like kind of I'm discovering how much period has an influence on your body how ignorant mm. I am about it, which is also, again, very abnormal, but also not surprising. Um, oh my god, yes. But it's so fascinating how much your body changes through the different parts of your cycle and like what you should or like what would be better for your body in terms of rest, eating, exercising, etc. It's so interesting. Um, yeah, highly recommend to look into this. Hundred <laughs> percent. And I was, I just like everybody else, I have a WhatsApp chat group with some girlfriends, and we often talk about different topics. And my friend said this the other day, which is so true: is that women's health is a joke. You know, yeah. it's not analyzed enough. It's not researched enough. It's not. There's not enough education about it. There's not enough mm. treatments for it. And I read this book. I'm still reading it because it's actually quite an intense read. It's called Period Power by Macy Hill. Oh my God, and I'm reading it too. 
Yes. Oh my God. Oh, it actually answers all the questions that you've just mentioned is that how do we start understanding our bodies a bit more? Because guess what, Lucy, you and I and a lot of us are in the same boat. We were never taught enough about our own bodies. Completely. Oh my God. I love this book. I'm so excited that you're reading it as well. Now I have someone to talk about it. With. <laughs> and, and Macy Hill, she's amazing. She's an expert on this topic and she's also a coach and I follow her podcast and she's just got such pearls of wisdom. Oh, I'm really, yeah, I've just started it. But I'm really excited to continue it. And also, I think it's a like, less funny book as well, very heavy, but more on disease. I'm also reading The Lady's Handbook to Her Mysterious Illness Ooh. by Sarah Ramsey, I want to say. And basically, she had, like, she battled with her health for more than a decade. And basically, like, yeah, because, I mean, as you just said, because women's body are not researched, there's so many illnesses that are not researched, cured, can't be easily found. And also she's explaining a lot how doctors dismiss her symptoms and what she says, because yeah. you can't you can't prove pain. You can say like, and you can correct quantify ish it. But yeah, and she's like, she talks about horrible things that happened to her just because doctors are like, whatever, like you're just being yeah. dramatic, you're just being oversensitive, blah blah blah. And then when she eventually gets some diagnosis, all the doctors are like, whoa, no, like mm. it actually is that. But yeah, and um, it's, it's so much more common than we think it mm. is. Completely. She actually, oh, I can't remember the figures now, but she talks about how many women are affected by autoimmune disease. Mm. And it is so interesting, revolting, outrageous at the same time that so many, like I can't, I'll have to double check. But yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Super interested. Um, it's crazy how we can do these quite difficult mathematical algorithms but mm. something as basic as knowing and understanding your own body like our, our education system fails us in so many ways as yeah. well as women and as men or any any gender really completely like thinking of the fact that chat gpt exists and like it can literally it can do so much yet <laughs> still like endometriosis for instance touches about one out of 10 women and it's still so hard to get a diagnosis like how it's yeah outrageous. it's about priorities and yeah. you made me laugh there because this is sort of a reminder of the generational shift where i remember when i was growing up the benchmark was always man's gotten to moon and we still can't do this and mm. i love that your reference <laughs> now was oh we've got chat gpt so we've really progressed so from true. man going to moon to let's come back to earth and produce something like chat gpt but yes i agree with the essence of what you're saying is that yes technology has furthered so much and it benefits us and yes it's better than it used to be and speaking of chat gpt and ai there is ai that detects early onset of breast cancer now, for instance, which was really difficult to be detected so cool. before this technology came into being. So yes, mm. I think I don't think either of us are shading um, tech or medicine or people mm. in those professions, but yeah. I think it's just that there is still a massive gap that needs to be worked on because guess what? We are almost half of the population. So please, yeah. give us some attention and love. <laughs> Completely. So much so to many. say. So outrageous. Yes, that's it. That's the word. 
Yeah. Let's talk about something a bit more fun, probably. Um, <laughs> did you grow up with any feminine female role model? Ooh. Um, I just want to share a very quick anecdote here. Um, this was a while ago, but it's so interesting that this happened where I was doing an exercise where I was asked to write down the names of 50 people who had influenced my development throughout my life. And it's a harder exercise than you think it is. But anyway, it took me a few days. I finally got it done and I was super happy and relieved. And I was like, okay, I've got my 50 names. And this can be anybody from people you know in your life, your family, your friends, you know, anyone you've come across at work, celebrities, dead, alive, any 50 names. So I went back to my list of 50 and I reviewed the entire list. And lo and behold, most of them were women. Oh, cool. I know. And I don't think it came as a surprise to me. I think it was just mm -hmm. a validation in my belief of how influential women have been in my, in my development throughout my life. So yes, they have not just been one, but many, many role models. And this is me on my sort of hype girl mode. But I truly mean this when I say every woman who's walked into my life has taught me something and taught me something valuable. So it's, I think it's about the entire community. But I think I can't not give you the classic but genuine response of my mom. Yeah. You know, of course, she, she is a hero in a lot of ways. But there is also a different reason why I think she's a role model, which I'll get to in a second. But you know, if I just look at her life, she was never provided with the typical means to education. She practically taught herself how to read and write when she moved to a new wow. city with my dad. And in India, like moving to a new city or a new state can mean a completely new culture. Like you might as well not understand what's going on around you. So I think she's so brave, so smart. And we have this like inside family joke that she's never she was never given the opportunity to fully uncover her potentials because it was it would have been too much for the people around her. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I think, you know, she is incredible. And at the same time, she's also my role model, but in a very different sense to the traditional definition of a role model, almost an inspiration. And <laughs> I'm, this is going to sound awful, but I think I have faith that what I'm about to say won't be held against me. Like, I love my mom. And I know she loves her life. She's happy. She's fulfilled. She's really embraced motherhood and, you know, her life um, and the roles in her life. But growing up, I just knew as much as I love her, I don't want this life for myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, I think that's really acceptable. You're not your parents, right? You have your own life and your own interest and the right to be yourself. Yeah. And I think what was really instrumental in that was also watching everything that she had been through and she had suffered and knowing that she would have been able to get out of all of these situations. Because as I said, she's smart, she's brave, but she was actively not given the resources to be independent. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the definition of role model, I've definitely twisted it a little bit, but Every, every time in my life I get stuck and I think that whether I should do this and what that means for me, I think I really go back to like, do I really want that life for myself? No. So I have to do this and I should do this and I want to do this so that I can sort of break that cycle. And I think I've been so lucky because, of course, along with her, I've had incredible other women 
my headmistress in school she is somebody who will always be my my everything because she literally picked me out of a lineup and when i didn't think that i had any talents nobody around me knew or thought or believed in my talents she did and she put me into all of these roles and and platforms and situations where you know i was just forced to do my best and came out my best my teachers or my girlfriends over the years every single woman that i've worked with most of the managers that i've had in my 10 plus years of career have been female so i think i've been so lucky to sort of have that continuous source of inspiration and role models including that- you lucy oh my god that is so nice and like not deserved <laughs> that's so nice to say thank you um of course i mean it Oh, I was going to ask if you have um current role models, but I guess that would be that would be blend with them, right? Yes, and I think for me the role model has always been this imaginary person who's sort of mm. an amalgamation of all the things, qualities, skills, passion, confidence that I see in different people, different women, all sort of that comes together and that's sort of my north star and that's why my role model is this imagination imaginary person who has all of these qualities that i aspire to be one day oh i love that and like i'm sure that by aspiring to be like this you already are that's super cool i love this answer thank you so much for sharing i know i'm not giving you the sort of straight forward ones but mm-hmm. just trying to be just trying to be authentic here <laughs> yeah no i love that i absolutely love that and it's yeah definitely so interesting and i really share that vision of getting um i mean i don't have that imaginary person but really you're kind of the sum of people you've met you know what i mean like yes. you take a little bit of everyone and like what you want and that's also how you learn who you want to be who you don't want to be mm. um, yeah 100%. really interesting and do you think that the lack of representation of women in society had an impact on you 100% <laughs> um story time again but yeah. i'll never forget this uh, when i was growing up especially in my early teens If you were to ask me, "Hey Radhika, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up?" I think I had these three options in responses. The first was a receptionist, second was an air hostess or a stewardess, and then towards my late teens was a news anchor on on TV, and I think I was obsessed with the idea of being a news anchor on TV. And do you, do you want to take a guess as to why these were my three options? Because it's what you knew, I'm going to say. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I I grew up in this very very small town. It was only it was less than 100,000 people and I know it sounds like a lot, but by India standards that's a very small town. And I love giving this uh uh example that the town that I grew up in was so small that the first McDonald's opened up when I was 17 and even then you had to drive an hour outside of the city to get to your closest McDonald's. So, you know, think yeah. think that small and Of course I've I've spoken about my mom I've spoken about the amazing teachers who were my inspiration and then outside of this if I think of more sort of the financial independence angle which has been the key focus of my of most of my life I saw women being able to get there kind of through these roles I saw them as receptionists or on the at the front desk I saw them as air hostesses and then obviously the more 
traditionally speaking powerful ones more in your face ones were news anchors on television and mm-hmm. you know it's it's pretty big in india and you have a lot of female anchors and they were really inspiring and i love their suits the makeup the hair and i was i genuinely was obsessed with the idea of being one of them i i enrolled myself into media studies i majored in journalism because i thought this is what i want to be but here's what i want to say we're, we're talking about representation and this is an important conversation because all of these professions that i've just mentioned are super important mm-hmm. i personally don't have a lot of the skill sets and the expertise that you need to do these roles successfully they're important in society they're super important in the economy but the point here is i would not, none of these would have been a good fit for me as an individual but the fact that i thought that these were my options and i actively pursued these options just shows how much representation matters and how it can really guide your life i think i got really lucky with the sort of series of events i fell into later in my life and i've discovered and i've been exposed to so much more since and i think i'm finally in the place where i think i'm pursuing my true passion or calling or talent or ikigai whatever you want to call it but it's only possible now because the bubble of my representation has expanded since i was a 12 year old girl yeah definitely i mean i couldn't agree more i mean i made a podcast out of this <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, completely. And like as you said, it's so important to re- remember, remind people that yeah, it's not that these professions are not important or anything. They of course they are, but it's also yeah, as an individual, you also very it's okay not to be willing to do this. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'd like to jump on kind of the second part of this podcast and talk about mm-hmm. a project life achievement i mean we've we've briefly mentioned it earlier but tell us more what do you want to tell talk to us about today thank you lucy it's obviously a hard thing to do right talking about yourself or your yeah. achievements and i mean it's ironic because obviously i'm here today and that's what we're here to do but mm-hmm. i've really had to channel all of my i am remarkable energy <laughs> yeah. to be here and talk about it but i think i want to split it up into two parts one is sort of the life experience itself and the second is how i'm wanting to bring that to life to enable others so i'm not sure if it fits into the category of an achievement but i want to say the life experience that i'm most sort of proud of and hold really high and would not trade that for anything else is pursuing my ikigai staying true to myself and having to do that while quite systematically dismantling gender norms that i grew up in and this affects you in so many ways because i think it's very easy to talk about following your passion pursuing your why and yes it's something that i want to talk about to my coaching clients but we also have to recognize that it is a privilege not everybody gets to do this not everybody gets to pursue that passions sometimes people don't even people spend their entire lives not even realizing what their passion is because they're always told that they have a role to play and we're on this podcast ordinary women we're obviously talking about women it's no surprise that I'm a feminist but it's true for everybody if you're a white straight male who's only seen yourself as ceos and you know men positions of power it's really difficult to be able to pursue something else so i think 
really holding high the urge to do right by myself to stay true to myself which came with a lot of um as i previously mentioned a bit of scandal intention and a lot of i'm a people pleaser i have so much guilt amount of money i have spent on therapy working <laughs> on my guilt it's honestly it's not even funny but it it doesn't come easy and i think for a lot of people watching you from the outside and especially i think for my family it's easy to say that oh i can detach myself emotionally from my source and the expectations of it but it's not but what keeps you going is this desire to stay true to yourself i think i was talking to some girlfriends about this the other day is that some of us had to literally physically remove ourselves from our original surroundings and we have found ourselves on the other side of the world all because we just wanted to stay true to ourselves and we wanted to live the truest version of ourselves and i think um, i i love your story lucy i mean you're living in a country that you didn't grow up in you have been you've immersed yourself in a whole new culture and you have experienced and you are experiencing a lot of realities that come with that but it's true for so many of us isn't it completely and I, like i talk about that with my therapists every once in a while you yeah. know like once she asked why do you think you you know you move so much you travel so much and i was like mm. <laughs> i don't want to think about that <laughs> but I yeah i think like for a lot of people it's that it's um it can be hard especially depending on your family and your surroundings to be who you truly are if you stay close geographically to people who have different expectations it's easier to get away yeah it's definitely very interesting and i'm sure a lot of people who study psychology or are psychologists or psychiatrists have a lot of insights on it <laughs> oh i'm sure um i can't wait to read all the notes that my therapist makes when she's talking to me <laughs> but escapism is real and i don't think it's mm. us running away from our problems no but it's as i said it's literally us physically removing ourselves from yeah. the surroundings that restrict us and that hold us back from being ourselves So from this life experience something that I'm trying to do and mm-hmm. I've started doing is really think about it in from the perspective of coaching. So what I'm doing right now of course my day job is a little more commercial it's a bit more corporate my title is a sales coach or a sales enablement coach but it has been a great um amalgamation of my work experience so far which has served me so well. it's helped me achieve that goal of financial independence that i've had for most of my life and i'm finally starting to feel ready to pivot towards what i think you know is sort of the crux of my why which is enabling others what i love saying is i don't have any talent of my own except helping others realize theirs and i want to polish the skill a bit more and i think a key to that is helping others see the bigger picture I think oftentimes we get so caught up in the ta- tactical day-to-day things the instant gratification where is the next promotion going to come from where's your next holiday going to be or is the mm. next person you're going to go on a date with is that your life partner and all of these are good sort of goals to have but there's always a higher order goal which guides and which should ideally guide things that you do in order to achieve that i think there's different languages to it we call it north star we call it higher order goals you may you may call it your calling but as long as you can see that but that requires taking a step back which i think i can help people do through 
being a coach and that's something that I'm pursuing and that's the value that I really want to bring to everybody else. I think my ideal sort of if money didn't matter, I'd be somewhere teaching young girls and really empowering them. But as they say, you've got to put your own oxygen mask first. So I'm still breathing through that mask as I try and figure out how do I do all of these things that I want to do. I love it. Earlier, you mentioned Ikagi. Ikagi? Ikagi? Ikigai. Ikigai. Almost there. Mm-hmm. Um, can you remind us what it is, please? Absolutely. It's definitely not something I came up with, no. It's a Japanese concept. It's a Japanese word. Uh, I think it's gotten a lot of attention recently, but I personally first heard of it through someone at work a few years ago. One of our colleagues was quitting this high-paying tech job, and in their farewell email, they said, I'm leaving to pursue my ikigai, and that's the first time I came across the concept and the diagram, so what ikigai is, and I'm not sure I'm going to do justice to the to the origins of it, but I'm going to try, and a simple Google gives you a lot of different representations of what this means, but it's really finding the crux of what you love, what you're good at, what you can get paid for, and what the world needs. So these, if you look at these at, as four circles, I think a lot of us are very good at pursuing the overlap in two or even three of these circles. But if you find that overlap or the anchor to all four, that truly is your ikigai. And it's not a destination. It can continue to be a journey for your life. But I love that it also includes what you can be paid for, because at the end of the day, you have to be practical. You have to think about, you know, how are you going to fuel yourself? How are you going to resource yourself? to be able to do the thing that you want to do, which you think the world needs. But at the same time, do you love it? Are you actually good at it? I mean, I love to dance and uh, I I don't know, maybe I could get paid for it, I'm not sure, but I don't think I'm good at it. So that's how you filter out your so-called passions and your interests and your hobbies and try and pursue that ikigai for something more long-term. But that's, look, that's, I feel like any, con- just like any concept, there is every single person's interpretation of that and what that means for you. And this is what it means for me. I love it. That's super, super cool. Thank you for sharing and reminding us of this. So what is your Ikigai? Ooh, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think I'm still, I'm still on the journey of discovering it. I think I get mm-hmm. closer to it every single day. I feel nice. really happy with where I am in life right now, in my career. It's taken me a really long time to feel this way, of course. I didn't just, um, it's, it's not something that I have felt constantly. And I think there's always ups and downs. Uh, I think I read a quote the other day. I can't remember who it was by. Is that if you think your career has had some hindrances, uh, take joy because you're not the only one or something on those lines. So I think nothing is perfect and nothing is going to give you pure joy. Uh, or only joy without anything else that comes with it. But I think enabling others to be the truest versions of themselves is something I love doing and I get a lot of energy from. I think I'm good at it, otherwise people won't be coming to me. <laughs> um, I can definitely get paid for it because I think it's it's a very fascinating industry at the moment. And for good or bad, it's quite unregulated. So it doesn't have any barriers to entry. And I definitely think the world needs it. So enablement uh, is the direction that I'm heading towards. And let's see. I'll, I'll keep you posted if that's my ikigai. Yeah, I love that. 
the pursuit of your whether you want to call it ikigai as i said or anything else it does require you to be brave yeah and i think something that we're often afraid to do in life is make meaningful pivots the path that you choose when you start out does not have to be the path forever and i think that's a really hard pill to swallow for a lot of us in this generation in this world that we live in and i've been trying to do a lot of reading and thinking about this and i think it's because when you think about pivot of course that means a change and it often gets confused with quitting or failing at something i don't know have you have you ever felt that that you can't change the course of where you're heading because it may be perceived a certain way yeah i think i mean i think i have like a very particular i don't know how to articulate that but basically a being french in mm-hmm. like french culture failing is like the worst thing and especially when you go study abroad or meet people who've who are not french and have studied in france in france you hear that a lot at school like a lot of people don't participate because they're scared of failing of not having the correct answer um things like that so i think there is this idea is particularly well i mean it can be very true in other countries obviously but i think it's particularly true in france uh and i think it was true for me like for instance i did my i did a bachelor in economics mm-hmm. at the end of the first year i knew i hated it but i still finished wow. it because yeah but no blah 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 but at the same time it's actually quite funny because both my parents have very unusual educational path which have very much inspired me to be like okay you know what if i don't you know if i if i do something and then I'm like, huh, actually, no. I've had that representation of people who have done that. So, yeah, a very, like, paradoxal, I guess, experience with that. But I think overall it's very true. I didn't know about that. And, Lucy, can Mm -hmm. I ask? Mm -hmm. So, this, this, um, it sounds like the culture is not very encouraging of you failing or sort of giving up something what value do you think it's instilled in you growing up in in an environment like that ooh uh i mean definitely perfectionism because mm. yeah you know if it's not perfect if it's not worth it and like you know how everyone says that french french people is complain and are never happy, blah, blah, blah. And I do think that for some things, it's good. Um, I've seen it, especially like protests, France versus UK, for like really big lows, there would be no one in the UK standing up, which I think is mm. like versus in France, there would be. And I think that's like really good to, as a people, uh, make sure that you keep your rights and and everything. But yeah, equally, I think that you know, there is also some nuance to that and the school system definitely doesn't encourage you. It encourages you to follow the rules versus mm. discovering yourself or being who you are or, you know. So it's but it's, it's quite funny because it's really paradoxical. Wow. I mean, mm. what you mentioned earlier about the protests is obviously mm. really topical and I'm trying to put that in context with everything that's going in France right now yeah. around the retirement age mm-hmm. and of course we've seen similar instances in the past as well but I really like the irony you're highlighting here. So, you mentioned perfectionism. Now, let me just ask you, how do you think that's value has served you in your life thus far? 
<laughs> Probably not. <laughs> really? I think it's made me very, I mean, okay, so this is also to take in consideration with my, you know, like family and personal history. But yeah. I think mostly, I think for something it's been good, like discipline, like I, I played the piano, it allowed me to reach a quite good level, for instance. Uh, I'm very disciplined in a lot of things I do. But also, I really struggle usually to start something new. Be oh, like, mm. that's not true. I always start new things. But <laughs> not as much as I would like to, I think. Or like, a lot of time, I struggle to start something new because it's not going to be perfect. Which, obviously, when you start something new, you never, like, you won't be perfect. So yeah, I think on some things, it's kind of good. Because yeah, for like, the discipline, the trying, mm. trying harder, trying to do better... Um, and also, you know, like not speak too fast and say like stupid things or like hurting people. I'm always very conscious about that, for instance. Mm. But also at the same time, which yeah, is probably there's... a good thing, makes you an, uh, an approachable yeah, exactly. person. <laughs> not, it's That's not bad. Probably... <laughs> uh, but yeah, also I would say that on the you know like trying new things um, and also being happy with what you have. I tend to not be very satisfied yeah. of what I do. But again, that's, yeah, to put in perspective with my own history, identity, whatever. Yeah. So interesting. And I think, I don't know if you caught yourself doing this, but you did mention a few things and ways in which this value of perfectionism is serving you. I think you mentioned discipline, trying to be better, appearing a certain way and being cordial and making sure you're not hurting other people's feelings, which is just human. And I think everybody mm -hmm. should do that. And in the ways that it may not be serving you from what I'm hearing is more, maybe you want to try new things that you stop yourself from trying because you fear that you may not be great at it. So what is one small thing you're going to try after this? Uh, keeping your perfectionism in mind, but not letting you hinder uh, you from doing that thing. Ooh. Ooh, okay, I know. So I recently started to paint. And the other day, I was struggling on painting, painting one plant that is in my room because I was like, it's not going to be perfect. So it's not worth doing. Mm. And so I put it away. Like, I, I just put the background and then... I painted the background and then I put it away because I was like, never mind, we're going to do something else with that. Um, mm. So you know what, after this, I'm going to continue, maybe not finish today, but at least continue or like start really <laughs> the, mm. the, this painting. And you know what, I'm going to reach out to you and make sure that you send me a photo of that completed picture. Art of all the things, it's so subjective. I mean, yeah. if Picasso had thought that his paintings weren't perfect... Oh we wouldn't have all this brilliance in the world today. So, yes, yeah. I think absolutely. So we've really, um, I honestly don't know where we started and how we started talking about this. But yes, I think we were talking about pivots and we were talking about oh, yeah. um, the the culture of failure and whether it's accepted mm. or not. And I think this there's this really sort of, look, I don't want to call it American, but I am going to go forward and call it American because I can't think of any other uh, association with it but the whole like I don't quit or I'm not a quitter attitude like mm. I'm not a fan of that I actually think it can be quite counterproductive because yeah. you end up expending your energy and brain power on something that is actually not serving you so firstly knowing that you and accepting that you're not a quitter 
you're just a smart person who's making informed decisions that are true to you um i you must have heard of the phrase you know oh we're building the plane as we fly it and at least in the corporate world it often gets used for um staying agile staying nimble but i think it's so true about life if you think mm. of life as the plane you have to build this plane as you're flying it imagine just sat there trying to build this perfect thing that you want to live you're going to miss out on so many things so not being too uh, pedantic and not being too sort of perfect or you know letting your perfectionism come in the way and i think secondly even if you do quit and fail which is going to happen so much it's happened to me i'm sure it's happened to you i'm sure it's happened to everybody listening like who cares yeah, who cares i say this to my younger brother all the time he's uh, he's too mature for his age and i tell him babe just like go out make some mistakes learn from them you know like as long as you don't die don't kill yourself like don't end up in jail just keep it kosher keep it within reason just make some mistakes and learn from them completely i was actually talking about i'm, I'm pretty sure i talked about that with someone on this podcast actually but uh i'm not too sure the in french we have an expression that says you learn to walk by falling which like is mm. the most basic thing right when you learn to walk you do fall um and i had never given that much thought to that expression you know like just an expression but when i say that to i think i was yeah the person i was interviewing um she said like can you imagine if as a baby when you were trying yeah. to walk you fell and you were like never mind like walking just not for me like that would be hilarious <laughs> obviously you don't do that so how come as adults we do that absolutely absolutely i just came out of a lecture where we talked about performance wisdom and i think it is something that you can apply to everything in life and life overall and not just specific instances but it's analyzing or sort of just thinking about what went well what didn't go well and what did you learn from it so similarly your french saying there's also yeah. a sort of a short you want to call it a poem or a saying in hindi is I'm not going to be able to translate it in the most poetic way but what it basically means is why are we so worried about what's going to happen if nothing else you're going to get some experience out of it. Mm, this is so true. This is yeah. So yeah, I think just being able to make those smart timely pivots in your life, in your career as humans you know competence is one of our three key psychological needs we often talk about human's physical needs but there's also psychological needs that drive us and those are autonomy competence and relatedness and if you're not getting these from what you're doing at the moment it is okay to take a step back look at that bigger picture look at your higher order goal and really think about making that pivot it can it doesn't have to be a sharp 180 degree it, it can almost be like you know it doesn't have to be a, a fight it uh, what's the movie fast and furious crazy u turn it's almost like a tack when you're sailing like you've really got to think about it you know you want to head in the direction of the wind or make the boat of course go and sail in a way that the wind supports you oh my god i'm like totally butchering this uh, this analogy but i think you know what i'm getting at but yeah you know making a tack is a lot slower and a mindful and a thoughtful process than just uh making a sharp pivot without thinking about it so yeah that's something that i think 
doesn't get encouraged enough in the culture that we live in just generally in the in the corporate and the capitalist culture but i think it's super super important and it's okay to change your careers and make decisions in life that you think may be perceived a certain way but as long as it feels right for you completely such wise words i love that i think we'll have to conclude soon but i want before before we we conclude this episode i want to know why are you proud of yourself or these findings yeah in in regards to what we talked about today i guess ooh oh okay so to conclude and to answer your question i think what i'm going to do is quote um somebody else because it really does justice to how i feel and i remember crying when i read this quote in the book it's from glennon doyle um she's had a very colorful life uh, as an individual and she really has done a beautiful job of you know putting it down on paper and this is from her book untamed and i i i'm proud of myself because i do think that i have been following this so the quote goes Every time you're given a choice between disappointing someone else and disappointing yourself, it is your duty to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. I love this. Thank you so much and thank you for everything you said and sharing uh bits of your story and of your thinking and experience. I've enjoyed this discussion so 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 much so thank you so much thank you lucy it was really really nice to speak with you of course and don't forget to send me a photo of that painting not yes. going to leave you <laughs> i will maybe like end of the week but i will i promise i will take your time <laughs> your path your journey <laughs> <laughs> um and there is a tradition in this podcast that the guest always gets the very last word so the mic is yours mm. I'm going to say follow your own path not of the one next to you. <laughs>